Welcome to Oncopharm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I'm an associate professor of pharmacy practice here at the Bill Gatton College of Pharmacy uh, at East Tennessee State University. I'm recording this uh, in May, a little bit before Memorial Day 2019, uh, here in my office on uh, the Mountain Home VA campus uh, within Johnson City. Uh, today we're continuing a series in our, our landmarks of clinical tr- landmarks of Oncopharm. Uh, these are landmark clinical trials, and this is a little bit of a series within a series because we're looking at some of the landmark adjuvant breast cancer regimens. So if you're new to the pod, uh, I would suggest listening to the CMF pod from a ways back and the AC pod for more recently because today we're going to be talking about AC followed by T. And this is a little different AC followed by T than what you're probably used to seeing in clinic. Um, so just as a, as a refresher, uh, the first chemotherapy regimen to show an overall survival benefit in the adjuvant setting for breast cancer was CMF, cyclophosphide, methotrexate, and fluorouracil. Uh, that was compared to AC, so uh, which is 60 milligrams per meter squared of doxorubicin and 600 milligrams per meter squared of cyclophosphamide. Uh, and they were shown to be roughly equivalent in a very large study. That's the NASBP uh, B15 study. Uh, the, and since they were roughly equivalent with regards to survival outcomes, since AC could be completed at half the time, three months, compared to six months of CMF, that kind of became uh, the de facto standard of care. Uh, now, in 1988, in um, the Lancet, uh, the Early Breast Cancer Trialist Collaborative Group published a paper uh, roughly titled An Overview of Polychemotherapy for Early Breast Cancer Treatment. And this is really an early version of a meta-analysis. That's essentially what they do, but they don't call it a meta-analysis. I guess that term had not been coined yet in 98. Uh, but they're looking at a lot of different things in this overview, including the duration of chemotherapy. Uh, but they did look at anthracycline-containing regimens compared to CMF. And what they found in these anthracycline-containing regimens is that the absolute risk reduction for five-year overall survival was reduced 2.7% with anthracycline chemo compared to CMF. Uh, that would be a number needed to treat about 37 or 38 to prevent one death at five years with an anthracycline-containing regimen. Now, that overview of those anthracycline uh, chemotherapy publications versus CMF included 11 studies, about 7,500 patients, uh, in which NASBP B15 was by far the largest. And again, that B15 study I just referenced is what um, we went over on the AC pod. So the natural follow-up to this is this publication, which is from the Journal of Clinical Oncology in 2008, Henderson and colleagues, and those colleagues include uh, Emil Fry and Larry Norton, some big names in, in medical oncology and oncology in general. Um, and this is CLGB uh, 9344. Also involved here is the Eastern Cooperative Oncology Group, and basically an intergroup study because you're using CLGB Eastern Cooperative Oncology Group, the Southwestern Oncology Group, SWOG, and the North Central Cancer Treatment Group. So a nice old-fashioned intergroup study with lots of different uh, oncology study groups coming together to ask uh, an essential question. And that essential question is, can we increase the dose of doxorubicin above 60 milligrams and have better outcomes? And this newish drug at the time, paclitaxel, which had been approved uh, in 1992 in the metastatic setting, does it have benefit in the adjuvant setting? Uh, there were two previous, at the time of this publication, there were two previous 
uh, NASBP studies looking at increasing the dose of cyclophosphamide with growth factor support, uh, potentially uh, not showing an improvement in, in outcomes. So this is actually a little bit of an, of an interesting study. I didn't know that uh, the study that kind of established paclitaxel's benefit in the adjuvant setting, uh, that was not the maybe the primary endpoint or maybe a co-primary endpoint because this was a three by two factorial design. So roughly 3,000 patients were randomized first one of three ways, either to 60 milligrams per meter squared of doxorubicin, to 75 milligrams per meter squared of doxorubicin, or 90 milligrams per meter squared of doxorubicin, and then after they completed four cycles, in the paper they call it CA as opposed to AC, what we call it now. So after they completed their three months or four cycles of AC, those patients were then randomized uh, either to paclitaxel, 175 milligrams per meter squared over three hours every three weeks for four cycles, or no paclitaxel. Um, the 90 milligram per meter squared group of doxorubicin uh, required mandatory GCSF support, so five micrograms per day sub-Q um, every day. This was before pegfulgrestim, as well as ciprofloxacin 750 milligrams uh, BID um, as support uh, to prevent infections. Uh, and then the other patients could receive GCSF uh, if they did have um, episodes of um, febrile neutropenia. Um, some interesting stuff about this, after uh, completion of the study, Bristol Myers, Bristol Myers Squibb, uh, who at the time, uh, you know, were the uh, purveyors of paclitaxel, uh, provided a grant to CLGB for statistical support and update the data for submission to the regulatory agencies uh, to the United States and Europe for, for approval, which is a, an interesting collaboration there. Um, another little interesting thing about the study, besides the GCSF, so the patients receiving the higher dose of doxorps in 75 and 90 milligrams per year squared, uh, it was given over two days as opposed to one day. Um, and the, for the first 300 or so patients, they did a CBC every, uh, or sorry, twice a week to look for toxicity. Uh, and then afterwards, they, they only um, recorded grade three or higher toxicity uh, thereafter. Uh, that endpoint. So, or after that uh, initial analysis by the DAFE to Sateri Monitoring Board to look for uh, toxicity. Okay, in, in, on to the good stuff. Primary endpoint was disease-free survival, uh, and they had a whole lot of uh, interim protocol analyses they called for. Um, initially, after four, the 450th event analysis, so after 450 people had either disease progression or death, they did their initial analysis and the Data Safety Monitoring Board said there's a lot of benefit here from paclitaxel. We should stop the study early. Those results were presented to ASCO uh, at an annual meeting in 98. Um, and then BMS uh, actually wanted to submit the data to the FDA any of the study early. Uh, uh, the FDA then asked to do an update analysis and there's a whole lot in this article about um, basically how this was presented in 98 at ASCO, but is not published in JCO until 2003. So um, for what we have here for this final publication, we have a median follow-up of, of 69 months over five years with at least 75% of the patients being followed for five years. 60% uh, of these patients were under the age of 50, 60% were also ER positive. So now we've moved on from that era where we're looking at you know, the, an absolute or quantitative value of how much progesterone receptor, estrogen receptor, are calling these patients tamoxifen non-responders. We're now using the term uh, ER positive. So cutting to the chase, the increase in the dose of doxorubicin provided no benefit, as you could probably guess if you uh, are involved in current practice. However, 
the addition of paclitaxel did have some benefit and at five years is cutting to the big picture. At five years, it decreased the risk of death um, from 80% to 77%. So an absolute risk reduction of 8%. That would be a number needed to treat of about 33. Uh, as you might expect, there was more toxicity in the higher dose doxorubicin group, um, just uh, which we won't go over. Um, but uh, obviously a lot more hematologic toxicity in AC compared to the paclitaxel group. So during the, the, the first three, the first four cycles, the first three months where you get AC, 62% uh, of patients uh, at the 60 milligram per meter squared dose of doxorubicin had neutropenic fever or granulous, not neutropenic fever, sorry, an ANC less than 500. So 62% uh, developed neutropenia on AC, only 16% for those same patients when they went on to receive uh, paclitaxel uh, for four cycles given every three weeks. Uh, one patient died of a hypersensitivity reaction to paclitaxel, uh, and one patient developed permanent paralysis after one dose of paclitaxel. Uh, overall, 15% of patients had moderate paresthesias. Again, they only were recording grade three for the duration of this, uh, but only 3% had sensory neurotoxicity. Again, those would have been grade three events only because that's what they were recording for the whole the whole study. So certainly a lot more than that had a grade one or grade two sensory neurotoxicity. So a little, um, maybe not as clearly stated as it should be here, uh, here in this paper. So uh, what we end up, what we end up having here is obviously a, you know, a really important landmark study. Um, the, the, they conclude in their discussion with a couple interesting things, uh, but one of which mean that um, you know, we now know increasing the dose of cyclophosphamide doesn't work, increasing the dose of doxorubicin doesn't work. They mentioned some early results from autologous stem cell transplant uh, following high-dose chemotherapy, not improving outcomes. Uh, they hint at maybe what's next to come with regards to the treatment of breast cancer is that dose escalation may benefit some breast cancer patients, such as those whose tumors overexpress HER2 new. So looking at, uh, we now have a target um, and we learned that increasing the dose of doxorubicin is not the best thing, but of course HER2 targeted therapy. Um, they, uh, they did some subset analyses as well, um, looking at those who received tamoxin versus not. Uh, and of course, those who were uh, receptor negative had the, the biggest benefit from paclitaxel. As we know, those folks who are hormone negative disease uh, is a little more aggressive, more responsive to chemo, and, and there is more benefit from chemo. For those patients, um, they do a really nice job of saying though that this was a, an unplanned subset analysis looking at those who are hormone negative or estrogen receptor negative and should be uh, interpreted with caution. Uh, but, but that result ends up being uh, borne out by subsequent studies. So if you think of where we've come up to this point in 2003 in this kind of journey of how we got to where we are currently in treating um, a breast cancer, first we had CMF, pretty large benefit compared to observation in the adjuvant setting, especially those who um, you know, had, had node positive disease we, we would learn later on. Uh, then we have AC. Um, or an anthracycline regimen is having some, a little bit of benefit compared to CMF, but only after you look at a whole bunch of patients uh, and do a, a kind of a meta-analysis. And that was a 2.7% absolute risk reduction for uh, death at five years. And now adding paclitaxel after four cycles of AC. And again, this is paclitaxel given every three weeks, not the weekly that you're probably used to seeing now. That gives us a 3% absolute risk reduction. So if you add that 27 
and that 3%, which you probably can't do, you get an absolute risk reduction of 5.7% and the number needed to treat a less than 20. So now you're starting to see some pretty big benefit of adjuvant chemo um, in, in these breast cancer patients. And as we think of uh, the terminology around um, how we get better at treating cancer and the war on cancer, um, you know, there aren't a whole lot of disease states like CML where there's one switch and we can block it. Uh, a lot of the progress we make uh, in, in improving cancer outcomes are one and two and three percent increments that, that hopefully add up over time. And this is just an example of that that I'm presenting to you here. So this is AC followed by T every three week paclitaxel. Uh, you can probably guess what what's going to come next in this little mini or this series within a series in the landmarks of oncology pharmacy. Uh, as always, I appreciate you uh, listening and downloading. Uh, would appreciate it uh, as well if you would find uh, the podcast in the iTunes Store. Give us a rating review. Tell us what you like about the podcast. Uh, you can uh, reach out to me on the social medias. Uh, with what you'd like to hear more of on the podcast. I'm on Twitter at FarmDeetNip. The podcast is at OncoFarmPod on both Twitter and Instagram. And until I talk to you again, remember, doses matter. Thank you.